listening to the New Century Multiverse, The Princess Thieves. Chapter 26 The Confrontation Viola stepped down from Oberon's arms, cast a gentle sleep spell upon Simon, and lifted his glamour. The strapping fellow in the beautiful white wedding dress crumpled forward, drawing shrieks of alarm and babbling clamour from the assembled gentry and their now hysterical wives. On the ground, immobilised, he was far less likely to draw direct aggression for his crimes. Merlaine spoke up, her voice booming out over the din and silencing everyone. That fellow was an innocent pawn. The woman in red who stands before you is the one you have all come to know as Princess Gwendolyn. Aaron looked down at the man he had just married, and then glared at Merlaine, Viola, myself, and the Arca beside me. And his face slowly darkened into a snarl. Witchcraft! This again. Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. God sees the pink one and the grey one. That may not be necessary. Yet. Archduke Coriolanus had exited the abbey after the happy couple, and now stepped in front of no longer Prince Aaron to take charge of the situation. He looked down at Simon, looked at Gwen, comprehending her movements over the past day, recognised the Arkenblade and Merlane, assessed the number of the rabble behind them, along with their lack of weaponry, armour, training and coordination, weighed it up against the assembled guards he had at his disposal, added the wild cards of a legendary wizard and King Arthur's abilities, which Gwendolyn now, presumably, possessed, and nodded solemnly. He removed three folded pieces of parchment from his pocket and ensured that Gwendolyn saw them. His largest risk here was that she would simply kill him on the spot. Gwendolyn indeed saw the parchment, considering what her own options were, and for the first time counted forward a number of days after deposing and perhaps even killing Coriolanus. And if she was lucky, the remaining six dukes spread across England and Britannica who would be in charge? With a sinking realisation, she knew she could not coordinate a takeover bid on this scale herself, without grievous loss of life. Even with the help of all her assembled friends, even with Merlane, whose political experience was centuries out of date for the world they now stood in, she could not do this. Not like she'd hoped. It would mean disaster. I caught word of the assault on the tower just under an hour ago, though the true identity of the woman on the horse could not be ascertained, I suspected it might be you. And you allowed me to marry an imposter in the meantime? I married a man! What does that make me? There was also a high chance that the bride was still my Gwendolyn. 
I must say your duplicate was wholly convincing. So, I allowed this to play out. I can't believe this. I shall be remembered for naught but in buggerance. Lord Aaron, please, you had no idea. I kissed him. I put my tongue in his mouth. In your defense, my lord, for a man that is an extraordinarily pretty specimen, I'd probably kiss him too. Robert, no one shut up. Sorry. I would though. Gwendolyn, I have already sent for the regiment stationed at Stratford and Shoreditch. They shall be here soon. One thousand Duart soldiers, and a great contingent of their number are firecasters. These unarmed commoners will all be killed if they continue their revolt. You can prevent this matchless slaughter. You have one final chance to take this man's hand in marriage. I'm not sure if I want to now. Trust me, you want to. Alternatively, Gwendolyn, I can speak to this crowd. I have several rather pertinent things to say. Gwendolyn, who had still not yet spoken, saw the parchments again. Her heart pounded. Her frame was tremulous and she felt giddy with the enormous pressure weighing her down more than ever before. She looked at Viola, standing side by side with Oberon, looked at the purple-clad freelancer working for free, looked into the blue, inspiring eyes of Robin, and felt her shuddering subside. In favor of a strange new calm, Malay nodded. You knew what you were coming here for, Gwendolyn, and it was never to steal a throne. Gwendolyn whispered to Nightwind, and he rose up, slowly beating those great black wings of his. I took a deep breath and cast a powerful reverse silence on her. <laughs> Malayne held up her hand, and a translucent shield formed in front of them. Walling off the Archduke, Lord Aaron, and the guards, preventing anyone from directly harming those assembled. And at last, Gwendolyn spoke to London. Ladies and gentlemen, Duart, Acker, humans alike, citizens of England and Britannica, it is time you were given the truth. She glanced back through the barrier of the Archduke, who, for the first time, appeared surprised. This was manifestly not what he had intended. Yet, he did not stir to intervene. Going forth with this new knowledge, you may all decide how best to respond. It has come to my attention in the past few days that I am not the woman I thought I was. In every possible respect of that phrase. But most importantly for you all, I am not Gwendolyn Saxe Coburg, granddaughter of Queen Victoria. I am, in fact, the offspring of two bakers from Spitalfields Market. My name was Katie Layden. I remember my mother singing. <laughs> Her voice was screechy, so I always knew it was her. I remember playing with the cats on my street. 
the smell of fresh bread at our bakery. My best friend Tom with the wonky teeth, who used to find cloth in the abandoned houses for repairs. I remember shillings and pennies. I remember we could only afford to eat meat once a week, and it was always beef. My father drank beer because the water was so bad. My sister, Molly, she died from drinking the water from the pump. I remember all of it. I'm a Londoner, born with nothing to my name, found and taken by chance alone at the age of seven by the Archduke of Buckingham, and told the same fairy tale that you all were. That I was your princess and would one day be queen. And somewhere back there I forgot Katie. And... And I only just remembered her. Several days ago I was taken, but not against my will, by thieves who convey their ill-gotten gains to the impoverished and the needy. Help those who would otherwise be slaves find honest work. I saw what true nobility was at last. But I have also seen division and segregation. I have seen what we do to one another when our fear of outsiders, or people we perceive as being unlike ourselves, what those fears can do to us, to them. And this sword, the Arkinblade, I pulled this from the stone in Camelot, but not because I was the rightful ruler of anywhere. It came to me because I can now fight for you all, and I know exactly what I'm fighting against. She pointed the blade at the Archduke and Aaron. But right now, I ask that you all return home. I will go from here with my new knights, this collection of vagabonds. Nobody else will be harmed today on my account. I do not seek war between our people. We did not come here to seize control, but to let the truth be known. Today there is no alternative to the rule of the Dukes, but there will be, in time. The ruling Dwart must forego their lust for a reforged British Empire and focus instead on their current dominion. They must work with this world, not attempt to conquer it. You know, I used to be obsessed with the idea of freedom. I wanted to go where I pleased. But I am not sure if we can ever truly be free, in the empirical sense, when we depend on one another. She looked at her companions, then surveyed the faces in the crowd. Men, women, children of all species. Let us not fight for freedom. What we should seek is fairness, and with that a greater unity than we have ever known. I am so sorry that I could not be the woman you need me to be. I shall not be your queen today. I do not deserve it. But I can bloody well try to. And in time, we are going to find a way to live 
together. The crowd did not erupt into universal grand applause, as she had hoped they might. Neither did they collectively begin to cheer and throw things as she had prayed they would not. Instead, she heard some supportive cries dotted through the masses, some hatred for her betrayal, a lot more for the dukes in general. It was in fact a roiling body of discordant murmurs as they beheld that the show was now over and began to filter away to their homes in a varied range of moods, from disgust to inspiration. Over the coming weeks and months, that talk would turn the attention of the city towards the oppression and imbalance perpetrated by their short overlords. Deceit would be added to the list of wrongs, and the people of Britain would begin to speak very candidly of revolution. Nightwind alighted on the pavement, and Gwendolyn stepped down and addressed the Archduke. I shall meet you back at the palace. There is a discussion that needs to happen. Coriolanus slowly and decisively folded and pocketed the parchments, nodding in response. Simon, who had now regained consciousness in time to see Gwen's speech, walked across the barrier that Melaine was now lowering to join them. Gwen hugged him hard in gratitude. That was far above and beyond the call of duty. Well, it was better than being punched in the kidneys. We'll get you a divorce. Oh, thank God. Seeing this, Lord Aaron's eyes flared, and he suddenly lunged forward, unsheathing his saber. You denied me two kingdoms, you wretched peasants! He nearly reached them, but found a golden and very pointy horn, neatly jabbing against his breastplate. The nag scowled. You've lost nothing that wouldn't have been stolen, and you call them thieves. She stole my dignity! Kissing a man doesn't make you any less of one. Refusing to take your defeat with good graces most definitely does. The unicorn gave the lord a hard prod and turned with a snort, cantering down the road towards St. James's Park, and beyond that, Buckingham Palace. Gwendolyn turned to Robin, offering him her hand in accompaniment. He smiled and took it. I love you. With good reason.
Steam train running on a reckless rail Speeding right up to the rising gale Shovel harder cause we're on your tail London's bloody ride been listening to the princess thieves princess gwendolyn performed by theo lee viola performed by loretta sailor robin and archduke coriolanus performed by alexander shaw lord aaron performed by james bachelor simon performed by paul davies nightwind performed by spencer lieb ajax performed by alistair stewart mortimer and scarlet performed by sharon shaw oberon performed by Matt Wardle. Merlane, performed by Maureen Foley. The Princess Thieves theme was Arrival by I. Sazanov of Shockwave Sound. Ancient Heroes, performed by Kleinos. Canon in D Major, composed by Pacabell. Here, arranged by Kevin MacLeod, who also composed Past the Edge, Frozen Star, Lost Frontier, and Angevin. Many soundscapes provided by Tabletop Audio and ASMR Rooms. London Town, composed and performed by Gavin Dunn, aka Miracle of Sound. Check out his amazing work on YouTube and buy his albums on Bandcamp. He makes many songs inspired by video games and this one was inspired by Assassin's Creed Syndicate, which is one of the finest examples of a Victorian London you can run around. And just like Gavin, that game inspired me when I was creating The Princess Thieves. A huge thank you to Gavin for use of this magnificent and wholly appropriate song in this week's episode. You are a true artist. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon, and our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you to Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Brewington, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Matthew A. Siebert, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, 
Sarah Montgomery, Tima Hellas Hario, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. I would far rather have 10,000 major fans of The Princess Thieves listening for nothing than 1,000 paying me 12 bucks for it. As much help as that money would be right now, and it is, I thrive on feeling like my work is affecting people's lives in small ways. That is fuel for artists and creative types. If me and my cast moved you, let us know. But let the people you care about know too, because this sort of experience is not one that should go unheard, unread, unsung. So spread the word and let's increase those download numbers. This, my white scarves, is a call to action. 